it's not the uh, time for gradual measures. It's going to be drastic measures. He announced that. So the country is getting ready mentally and psychologically for it, which is something that Macri didn't do when he came to power uh, before the current administration. And so, you know, this is extremely hard. It's a huge challenge. He might fail, but he has to take the risk and he has to go all in. Otherwise, this will be all for nothing. And even his regime might not survive. Uh, because if he doesn't tame inflation, if he doesn't bring back some prosperity, uh, he's not going to be forgiven. Javier Mele, a libertarian economist, has won a decisive victory in the Argentinian presidential election. Labelled a loco, the madman, by his critics, Mele has proposed a radical agenda, including ditching the local currency, the peso in favour of the US dollar, abolishing the central bank, reducing public spending by 15% of GDP, and privatising state-owned enterprises. He also wants to reduce the number of government departments from 24 down to just eight, including closing the ministries of culture, women, health, and education. To discuss what Millet's election victory means, I'm very excited to be joined by Dr. Axel Kaiser. He's a leading South American libertarian author and political scientist based in Chile. He also happens to be a personal friend of Millet. Welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here. Thank you very much for having me. Let's start with this very broad question. Who is Millet? Well, Millet is someone who strongly believes in the role of ideas. Uh, he's a professional economist, a technical economist, but he's not only an economist. Uh, in that sense, he's a Hayekian. He, uh, not only because he's not only an economist, and we know that Hayek would say that an economist, that it's only an economist, is not even a good economist. He's also um, someone who believes in the role of ideas in defining social evolution strongly. And uh, in that sense, we are alike. I've been playing the same role in Chile that he has been playing in Argentina, only I didn't enter politics. And um, he has been strongly influenced by the works of uh, people like uh, Milton Friedman, Hayek, Rothbard, Ludwig von Mises, um, and others, and also some of my sort of some of my books. Um, I'm happy to say, and he's a man with a mission. He's not someone who wants power for the sake of it. He wants to transform Argentina and to restore the golden age that was lost under the hegemony of Peronism, the, which is a form of socialism or fascism, if you want. And so he uh, really believes that he's the man for the job. He's extremely charismatic. I actually spoke with him a couple of times in Buenos Aires. I could see the uh, type of rock star that he was. And that's why I predicted he, he could become president because, you know, most political pundits, they stay in their um, rooms and they watch at the screen and then they analyze things. But I was there um, with him. I could feel the environment around him. And this was the triumph of the younger generations of the ideas of freedom among the the young people in Argentina. Uh, and it's the same that's going on in, in Chile and uh, partly in Colombia and also in Brazil and so on. Um, I don't think the West is paying enough, enough attention to what's going on here because 
Uh, Latin America doesn't really matter so much to most uh, developed nations, but but if you really analyze what we have achieved here, uh, I'm one of the leading proponents of classical lyricism. Mm. So I think I can say what we have achieved, achieved, achieved. It's it's really remarkable, and I think it's also a good president for the UK and it's also a good president for the uh, United States and other nations. Do you want to tell so, us a little bit about your role in, in supporting the libertarian movement in Argentina? Yes, I mean, I, I actually, before Millet uh, entered the public sphere a couple of years ago, I actually probably was more uh, better known than he was in, in the country, in Argentina. Uh, and actually, when he began uh, speaking on television, he, they called him the Axel Kaiser of Argentina. <laughs> and uh, now they call me the Javier Millet of Chile. <laughs> so uh, he uh, entered the uh, public sphere. And one book I wrote, The Fatal Ignorance, that I published in 2009, where I predicted that Chile was going to destroy the free market institutions and the whole country basically because the ideas of the left were uh, advancing rapidly and were being, uh, you know, endorsed by everyone, business people, by even the center-right-wing political parties. Uh, well, that book, that was a Hayekian book as well, because uh, I was very much inspired in the Hayek thesis that ideas define social evolution, uh, was very influential on Javier Millet, I think. And he has actually cites the book on television many times. He has spoken about the book. And so... Uh, I think I played a role there uh, in in the way probably that he sees how society functions and the need for having and achieving cultural hegemony. This is a term that was popularized by Gramsci, the communist thinker, but basically we all classical liberals believe that ideas are the most important thing. Not so much the technical economists, they don't know anything about uh, the importance of ideas and history and sociology and literature. But um, Javier Millet does know that. And I think I might have been an influence on that. And also my book, The Street Economist, was published in Argentina and was presented by Millet and myself. And it became a cornerstone of the free market movement in that country. Uh, like many of my, interve my interventions uh, you know, on media in Argentina, I've been going to television newspapers for years in Argentina and many other countries in Latin America. So I played an important role. I would say now Millet and I are the two main faces of the free market movement in Latin America. So, so I think that's a in, in kind of diving into the, I suppose, more specific ideas um, when it comes to Millet, a, a lot of the international press, particularly the likes of the BBC and The Guardian here in the UK, um, are describing Millet as a far-right figure. That, that's, their, that's their headline descriptor. Um, is that accurate? Well, they describe, I think, everyone, everything to the right of Jeremy Corbyn as being far right. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, this is, of course, nonsense. Uh, why is he, is he far right? Because he does want to dollarize the economy like Ecuador did, like El Salvador did, and, and like Panama did many, many decades ago, almost, almost a century ago. And none of these countries have inflation problems, that's why. And none of them have a central bank. Uh, because he wants to open up the economy, which is a completely uh, nationalistic uh, system and having free trade, which is the uh, thing that most developed nations uh, promote nowadays. Why is he uh, far right? Maybe because he's against abortion. That, that might be it. But I think we have gotten used to having center-right political parties like the Conservative Party in the UK, 
and most of the center-right political parties in in Europe and in the West who have uh, you know embraced the uh, egalitarian and woke ideas of the far left, and so the far left defines who is far right and who is center right and and you know and who is um you know part of the good guys like themselves so this is complete garbage and um you have a country that is it's sick you have 50% of poverty rate in argentina almost and you have 6 million people who are starving in a country that produces food for 400 million i always i i always say this and you have 150% inflation and you are on the verge of hyperinflation what do you expect moderate measures it's like you know having a heart attack and and going to the hospital and the doctor prescribing you an aspirin or something like that this is this is insane so this is unfair and it reflects you know the the left wing hegemony that is also uh taking place in in the western world in general and mainstream media most of media uh, is controlled by left wing activists and by left wing mm. you know editors and publishers and people like that and so, so i'm interested to know whether or not um perhaps in a more of a descriptive sense even if not in a in a negative sense whether you'd consider Belay to be on the i suppose popular side of politics in the sense that a lot of his rhetoric is is anti-elite um anti what it currently exists and and the institutions and the way society currently operates um and makes an appeal against the elite in in favor in a, in a kind of uh you know, not necessarily contrarian to libertarian principles, I suppose, but there, there does seem to be rhetorically a sense of kind of populist appeal to him um, in a way we, we might see populist appeal elsewhere, even if his policies are very different or his disposition is a bit different. This is, this is true, but you know, the problem you have in Argentina is that what he says is exactly what is going on. You have a country that basically functions like um, a kleptocracy, and uh, the system is completely uh, designed so that a few people can benefit f from from the rest. You have 80 million people, uh, sorry, 8 million people living out of uh, 20 million people. And especially it's uh, what Douglas North called um, a closed um, system. It's, it's not really an, a competitive system in any sense, not politically so much. Uh, because you had a lot of corruption and we feared that they were going to steal the election uh, from Millet's hands if this was very uh, a close call uh, and also in economic terms. So when I say there are a few benefiting, it, what I mean is you have corporations and politicians and they are all together in bed. And so uh, it's crony capitalism, you know, to the core. Uh, and, and so you have a cast of people who are exploiting the rest. And yes, you have this 20 million people that are getting our government employees plus all people getting government handouts and subsidies and so on and so forth, which is the reason why the country is broke and you have 150% inflation rate. But most of those people are not really um, progressing in any in any in any way. They are experiencing uh, harsher conditions of life every day, every single day. Things are getting worse for them, uh, even for people living on on welfare. And yeah, you have these few plutocrats, corporations, and politicians who are making millions because they are stealing the money 
and, 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 you know, Argentina is one of the most corrupt countries in the world. And you have a system where you don't have competition. That's the reason why you have so much, much corruption. Of course, you you open the doors for, for runaway um, kleptocracy or kleptocracy. For, um, for, for those who aren't as familiar with Argentina, I was wondering if you could give us a little bit of background on, on how they ended up in the situation. Um, a country that, uh, as you've said, has got on the verge of hyperinflation. I, I read today that their economy is expected to be something like 15% smaller than it was in 2011. 40% of people live below the poverty line. What, what are the, the policy settings that have, have led to this kind of economic disaster in Argentina, which I suppose has very much opened the way to Millet's um, electoral prospects? Well, it's the idea of a nationalist economy. Basically, that you have to restrict free trade dramatically, and you have developed the local industry. Uh, this was very influential throughout the 20th century, especially after the Great Depression in Latin America, not only here, in other countries as well. But um, in, in the case of Argentina, they never got rid of that. So they have a, a, a nationalistic a pseudo-fascist economy um that makes it impossible for you to have co international competition first and then you have cartels um that have been created inside of the country no and on top of that you have extremely strong unions that function like you know mafia bosses because the law gives them so many um not rights is not the the right word is privileges and they are protected and they 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 have helicopters the uh, main union leader in of the truck drivers in in Argentina he he flies with a helicopter everywhere <laughs> wow <laughs> and, and and yeah i mean and 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 they are rich they are extremely wealthy and and then you have governors who own hotels and own you know all sorts of things because the money they steal and and you have politicians who have been caught in scandals spending hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars, actually buying stuff like, uh, you know, jewelry, things like that. Not to mention the Kirchner dynasty, which, according to some estimations, have stole over almost 10 billion dollar uh, from from the Argentinian people. And, and, and you, I can go on and on and on. Yeah, Recently, it seems interesting to me kind of reading into some of the more specific policies. Um, that Argentina has introduced, there's certainly been a lot of calls for them in the UK, with, with the things like price controls on food and energy, which have led to, uh, I'm guessing, quite substantial supply shortages and economic problems. You've got exchange controls, you've got massive subsidies of all sorts of parts of the economy, um, creating distortions, very heavy taxes. And there was also, uh, I suppose, what what you would agree would have driven a lot of the hyperinflation was that, that the government spending and mass subsidies were being driven by uh, effectively, the central bank printing money, a massive increase in, in the money supply, Absolutely. driving inflation. Yeah, it, you know, this this uh, uh, problems that you are describing, we saw them everywhere in Latin America during the period of the inward development, um, you know, strategy. This is, we had the same problems, lots of uh, welfare spending that were was funded by the printing money, hyperinflation and high inflation everywhere in Latin America. We didn't have free, of course, we didn't have the free trade. We had prices that were fixed in Chile in 1973. We had three, over 3,000 prices that were fixed, everything. 
uh, and uh, the same was uh, happening uh, all, all over Latin so America. The UK and... also had this up until the, the 19, uh, late 1970s, early 1980s. And, and so did India, so did China. I mean, all these economic yes. disaster zones kind of adopted a similar policy set. I, I know, but you know, Argentina, the problem with Argentina is while even other countries in Latin America changed and reversed course, they didn't. They they continued practicing this um, you know protectionist economy, uh, and they are very reluctant to to change. Now they are open to change, but they were for decades. And I was always impressed in Argentina that people didn't believe in the free market. I even you would speak with uh, you know business people. I, I gave speeches all over the country in Argentina, and. It was very rare that you would find uh, some some guy running a corporation or uh, or, or uh, you know even a farm. They have these haciendas, these very big farms where they produce lots of grain and things. They didn't believe in the free market. They were into protectionism, and uh, because we have to protect local jobs and the, the the standard arguments. And this is this mentality is what changed now, and. Uh, pro-capitalist ideas uh, won this battle. And this was the younger generations forced the change. And we have achieved a cultural revolution, this time a libertarian one, peaceful, of course, uh, in, in, in Latin America. This in Argentina and it's happening in Chile more and more. And it's happening in other countries in Latin America. Um, with the you know uh, job that we have done, Millet and me and, and and other people, and so you know this is the thing that no one wants to wants to really see that if he had not been for the younger generations, Millet yeah. would have not. He forced the hand of Juntos por el Cambio, the center right political party that ran the government with Macri and that failed completely, and then Cristina Kirchner and Fernandez came back to power. And uh, and Millet won the primary because the younger generation said we want Millet overwhelmingly. So he changed the mentality. He uh, we changed the mentality, but mostly his his merit. But we all contributed to that. The few people who are doing this in Latin America, and uh, this is the big news that you can you can change uh, a country by changing the, the youth, how the youth think. And uh, well, you are seeing that with the woke movement and, and the, you know, uh, problems you see every. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. interested in in, the, in uh, diving a little bit into some of Millet's policy set. So you've already hinted at one of the the highest profile ones, which is the dollarization of of Argentina. This is this idea of throwing aside the peso as a currency, um, adopting the U.S. Dollar. I think there's a lot of concern that it's not practically possible, even if it's a good idea, it's not possible because um, the Argentina doesn't have the necessary uh, dollar reserves to, to pay um, for the central bank's liabilities. Um, and therefore, it's well, going to be a very big challenge to, to move to, to the dollar, um, if not practically impossible. You get the, the reserves. But first of all, you have uh, around $200 billion in cash in Argentina, which is important because Part of the economy is already dollarized and people spend dollars to buy everything and people measure everything in dollars. So when you get a salary, even if it's a thousand pesos now, a thousand pesos per day, you will say, OK, I'm making one dollar per day. Um, so that's the first thing. So if you make the dollar legal tender, it can start circulating right away. And, you know, it can replace to some extent 
the use of the peso. But now then you have the problem of government debt. Yes. And the central bank debt and all of that. Now, how do you get the dollars? Well, you can come up with clever um, solutions for that. Uh, first of all, you have Vaca Muerta in Argentina, which are huge oil reserves. And you could bring in billions and billions of dollars in investment, not only to Vaca Muerta, but also to lithium, because Argentina is one of the main, uh, the largest reserves in the world. You could, uh, and so if you somehow came up with a system that guarantees international investors that you are not going to steal their money and their property once they have invested in Argentina, because that's the main problem. You don't have a rule of law. And for that, you will have to uh, give guarantees in New York or in some other place that in case of an expropriation, these guarantees will be automatically executed and you know the um, uh, investors will be compensated. And so they don't have to go to a trial so and, and a complicated or a complicated procedure in order to be compensated. I have, I have, uh, I don't have uh, an exact plan in my mind, uh, you know, of how this could work. But I know some people do have an idea of what you could do. Like Emilio Campo, the probably is going to be the next president of the central bank in Argentina, and he's in charge. Who would be in charge of, of you know, uh, closing this job <laughs> of turning it into a into an inflation museum? But you know, it's um it's there are ways it's it's hard yes we know but what's the alternative if you keep the peso this is never going to be fixed this problem this is uh you know it's now or never i think and salvador did it ecuador had hyperinflation and, they, and then they dollarized uh and so why why wouldn't it be the case that uh, argentina can do it the, i mean it's hard it can fail yes it can but it can also succeed the next um, biggest policy in my mind is the, the proposals from LA for uh, across-the-board massive cuts in government spending. Um, I, I suppose there's, there's a question about political viability we can get to in a second here. But, but I'm wondering on a kind of a policy level, is, is, is there, how, how is that going to operate? Um, how, how is the, the state going to, I suppose, in, in LA's mind, very rapidly and um, I, I hope in his mind as well, in an organized way, reduce its, its size and scale. What's the, the plan there when it comes to cutting government? Well, he has 60 to 90 days, in my opinion, where he has to implement all these changes or start the implementation implementation and, and, and announcement of all these changes, because after that, you lose the honeymoon. And he has he won by a large margin. So it's 10 points. That's a lot. So he has political capital where he can do that. And he, he won almost in all Argentinian provinces. And he almost won in Buenos Aires, which is historically a Peronist bastion. So he has a, a huge political capital. And if he's not very radical from the start of his um, government, which uh, it inaugurates, I think, here now and on December 10, then he's going to lose the political capital and they're going to blame him for the inflation that's going on. Because that's the way politics work. Uh, works. So um, I think that the supports from the public, yes, he will have this, the public support. He, they elected him to be radical, not to be moderate. They, they would have elected Massa if they wanted more of the same. So that's the first point. The second point is 
he will be able to still blame the opposition if they uh, don't allow him to make the changes. And so he will preserve the political capital in case there is a lot of resistance to the reforms. And it will, there will be a lot of resistance to the reforms, that's for sure. Um, so he already said in his inaugural, not inaugural speech, but the first speech after he, he won, that, yeah, that is not the uh, time for gradual measures. It's going to be drastic measures. He announced that. So the country is getting ready mentally and psychologically for it, which is something that Macri didn't do when he came to power uh, before the current administration. And so, you know, this is extremely hard. It's a huge challenge. He might fail, but he has to take the risk and he has to go all in. Otherwise, this will be all for nothing. And even his regime might not survive uh, because if he doesn't tame inflation, if he doesn't bring back some prosperity, uh, he's not going to be forgiven. Mm. He's going to disappoint everyone. And and this he cannot afford. I wanted to, wanted to ask you on the... I'm not that pessimistic, to be honest. I wanted to ask you on the policy front. There's, there's a whole bunch of, I suppose, these more radical positions often get talked about. His um, proposal to ban abortion, including in cases of rape, um, uh, proposals to legalize the sale of human organs, eliminating gun laws... Um, I suppose on that end of some of the, the more fringe policies, um, are, are these likely to actually be implemented or pursued? Are there other policies that have been getting are likely to be a far more high priority than those? You know, how is, yes. how, are th- how are things going to be like? In what way should we take those kind of things seriously, or are they just sideshows to getting sorting out the major kind of economic policy situation? I don't think this. It's going to be prior, uh, you know, any, I mean, a priority for, for the Millet administration. And, and even so, he would have to gather enough support in Congress to pass these laws. He's not going to waste his political capital pushing uh, forward this agenda. So, if, you know, banning abortion. And maybe he, he, he might propose something like that in order to distract public attention in case things are not going. Uh, very well and 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 you know the uh, public debate is focusing too much on attacking him because this is going to be painful you have to swallow the medicine when you are when you are ill this is not you know something that people like uh but the the number one priority and the number the, the number two and three and four and five and six it's it's inflation and it's economic growth and it's shrinking the size of government and 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 get, you know having a new deal with the um, creditors and seeing what you do with the IMF and that's the um, reason why he was he was voted into office. I don't think Argentinians now care so much about the other more you know uh, symbolic issues of abortion and the uh, moral things, uh, moral debates that are uh, involved in this. Um, uh, policies, because the situation is desperate. I, I, so, I mean, this, this might be something for the second part of his government, maybe. I'm, but I don't... I mean, I would be surprised. I mean, it could happen, but I would be surprised if he starts, you know, proposing these laws before uh, fixing the economy. And yeah. only fixing the economy is going to be such a huge challenge that I don't think they will have energy left for anything else. Just just back to the the the, the size and monstrosity of this challenge. Um, politically, I think you've already hinted at this, um, which is that uh, in terms of his p- position within um, the political system, he's, he's 
potentially actually, despite the president quite weak, for the reason that his party only controls a relatively small number of seats within Argentina's Congress, which, and I presume, without uh, full knowledge of exact processes, he's going to need a lot of legislation going through Congress in order to introduce his policies. So I'm wondering, what are the, the realistic barriers? Is he actually going to be able to surpass them? Um, and, and how are we going to judge his success? Because I think it, it might be easier to turn around and say, uh, and, and see him as a failure very soon if he can't get through his policies through Congress. Well, you know, this is the most important question of all, because the technical side of the equation, I think you can solve with, you know, good economists and good advisors. I mean, they will be able to deal with it. Um, but the political part of it, which is, you know, passing, uh, getting Congress to pass the laws, Macri, the former president, and Bullrich, Juntos por el Cambio, they will play a decisive role because they have a, a substantial representation in Congress and they also have, you know, ties to other parties that are mostly opposed to uh, Milley and La Libertad Avanza. So uh, I think this will be very interesting to observe how it uh, unfolds. But I am not really that um, pessimistic that they will be able to uh, reach some sort of agreement uh, that reforms have to be uh, have to be made because he's in power now, Millet, and he can offer things. Uh, that's the way you do politics. He can offer things to people so that you you can get their support, and he won by a large margin. So that also gives him more credibility, even in front of the uh, uh, all the politicians who sit in Congress. Uh, and they risk being blamed by Millet, who's no shy in that matter, has no <laughs> uh, fear uh, to being the ones who are making it impossible for Argentinians to, you know, uh, end inflation. And so um, I think it's, again, it's going to be extremely difficult, but I don't believe it's going to be impossible. We have seen this alliance between Millet, Macri and Patricia Woolrich and many other center-right wing politicians uh, who are saying that they will do everything they can in order to help uh, Millet. And, and this could be the key for him, um, for his success in parliament. Absolutely. And, yeah, I mean, and it's, it's, without how, if he doesn't have that, he's lost. But he does it. He does have it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's notable between uh, when he uh, didn't manage to get an outright victory in the first round of voting. He did very much um, move a lot closer to the centre-right and try to get their support, which is probably what enabled, propelled him to this victory in the end. So I suppose it's a question of, can he successfully coalition build and do the, do the right things in the, in the, in the right way? I'm, I'm just wondering yes. any yes. concluding thoughts you might have in terms of what we can learn from the UK about this? Because it seems, I mean, you, you can kind of make, make an argument for a, a libertarian presidential candidate, um, but perhaps only when things get much, much worse, as they are in Argentina. Uh, Argentina compared to the UK. Is is that the takeaway here? Is there something here about the way in which he's built a movement um, around him, a, a mass popular movement that would have previously just been unimaginable, um, certainly unimaginable in Argentina? Is it something about him as being personally charismatic? No. What, what What's really, do you think, driving this and what what should we take away from it? Well, in the end, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the same story that, you know, uh, happened with the... Uh, Institute of Economic Affairs and Margaret Thatcher. I mean, it, this is a result of the work that has been done for decades and that found the right person to uh, so that the fruits co could um, 
you know, be uh, enjoyed by by the citizens in this case in Argentina. But I've been doing this job for fighting for freedom publicly uh, everywhere on television for 15 years. Millet has been doing it for seven years. We have other people who have been doing it for decades. Argentina has a, a tradition of classical liberalism that goes back, back almost a century. I mean, of people writing about this and you know explaining the ideas of Mises. And actually Millet is a disciple of art, another very good friend of mine, Alberto Venegas Lynch who is um, being recognized by Millet every time he can. He says Alberto Venegas Lynch is like the father and the greatest liberal alive in Argentina. And so it's not that Millet alone uh, made this possible. He he benefited from the work that others have done, but it was his charisma, his personality, and his radicalism, his uncompromising, what made him so popular among the youth and the clarity with which he explains the ideas, which is a, a very important. And his rock, rock star style, you know, he's sort of a mid jagger of liberalism. So uh, he's rebellious, he's um, a sex guru, he's a former soccer player, he's this, he's that. So this is very attractive for young people. And he's very uh, strong as a, intellectually, I mean, he's, uh, uh, and so I think the lesson for, for the UK and for the West even, is that you have to keep on uh, working on spreading the ideas of freedom, but you need public intellectuals. You need people who go and fight with no uh, fear uh, in the front lines. And that means television, social media, everywhere. Like I've been doing, like Millet has been doing, like other people has, have been doing it here in, in Latin America. And you don't have to, uh, if you want to be successful, you have to be... Uh, Hayek would say even dogmatic, a dogmatic defense of liberalism. That's the term that Hayek uh, used. It's crucial in order to win the battle of ideas. And this is what Millet did, what we have been doing here. And someone has to do it um, in other parts of the world, hopefully many people. And we will see how the the tide changes um, with the politicians we have now in the most center-wing political parties in the West. We are lost. This is not going to to work because they are always they have this inferiority complex, you know, vis-a-vis -vis the left, and so they're trying all the time to please the left and not mm. to bother so much. And so that's the the recipe for failure. We have seen it with Macri in Argentina, with Piñera in Chile. We have we are we are seeing it with 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 the Conservative Party in the UK, and we are seeing it uh, almost everywhere, even in Spain now, um, uh, especially under um, Rajoy. So. I think that's the main lesson. Millet is the most free market, pro uh, uh, liberty, pro Israel, pro Western president in the whole Western world. There is no doubt. And he was elected in Argentina. This is insane if you think about it. It's like a Jew was elected president in, uh, in Saudi Arabia if they had elections. I mean, Peronism is this it's it's not only an ideology and it's not only a, a political practice or tradition it's 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 a culture and and that culture has been now replaced by a free market or libertarian uh, worldview this is a big story that no one's no one is speaking about this and people are too much concerned well the dollarization and how is it going to shrink the size of government which is really important but the 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 bigger thing here, the the, the larger 
picture, the bigger picture, so to speak, is is the change in mentality that we have achieved in Latin America, in a country like Argentina, then it will come to Chile, maybe other countries, but now in Argentina. Uh, this is what we have to learn what happened there, that we uh, brought the youth to believe in, in the pre-market. It's not only because the economy is doing poorly. In other countries where the economy does poorly, you elect a Chavez, you elect a, you know, a Lula, or you elect someone like that a left-wing, far-left-wing politician who promises to, you know, take money away from the wealthy and give it to the people. Mm. We change that mentality in, among the younger generations, especially. Well, and that, that, thank you so yeah. much for explaining that all to us and, and quite extraordinary events uh, in, going on in, in South America. I mean, I think it's Millet who, who described Margaret Thatcher as one of the greatest leaders in the history of humanity due to her role in taking down the Berlin Wall. And it is really a, a flashback to a, a, the importance of ideas in politics. So I really appreciate your time and um, your excitement and your insights. Um, Axel Kaiser, who's a Chilean um, political scientist and uh, writer, um, he's got his book, you can, you can see back there, The Street Economist, which is an excellent introduction to some of these ideas. Um, and it's been a, a fantastic discussion. If you are enjoying, please do subscribe to the IEA's YouTube channel and if you'd like to learn more about the IEA just visit IEA.org.uk